All right. Uh, good evening and welcome to discipleship class number seven. And tonight we're going to be taking a deeper dive into the ministry of reconciliation. We had the ministry of reconciliation in our title for uh, last week, but um, we, while we did introduce it, we didn't really uh, get into a deeper explanation of it. And so that's what we're going to do tonight, and I am uh, looking forward to that. Welcome to everyone online, and also welcome to everyone in the room. We continue to have uh, just a great turnout uh, for the in-person uh, experience, and uh, nothing, uh, you know, obviously some of you folks are watching in another country, so it's hard to get here, but if you can get here, if it's just for one or two, you need to experience the, the in-room uh, experience. Pastor Cornelius, that would mean a long flight for you from Kenya, but anyway, maybe one day, brother, praise God. Um, I'm also excited, uh, there are some things that have been in my heart for some time that, um, anyway, I don't want to call it laziness, but uh, when, when the Lord began to speak to, to Moses about, you know, some things that he would have for him to do, um, one of the first questions Moses asked was, what will the people say? Or what will the people, depending on the translation, what will the people think? Amen. And um, I'm sure I'm probably the only person in this room uh, <laughs> that's ever uh, wondered what other people would think about decisions we make, and, and especially when we step out to do something bigger than we've done in the past. But uh, So anyway, I'm getting the victory over what people think, because when I stand before God one day, He's not going to ask me what people thought. He's going to ask me if I did what He asked me to do. Amen? And um, so I am uh, working on a, a website that would become uh, a, a hub for just a lot of things. I've got notes upon notes upon notes, things that I've written, uh, classes, so forth and so on. And as a part of that, uh, I wanted to uh, create a discipleship class podcast which, again, you can access uh, these things um, in different ways already. As a, matter of, as a matter of fact, it's part of a greater uh, podcast, which is the HCC Heritage Christian Center podcast. Um, and uh, so anyway, that's just... But with that, though, I'm wanting a different vehicle so that we can include um, class notes in the form of a PDF. And so uh, I'd mentioned that in class one. And um, now we're starting class seven, and we still don't have that up and running. But uh, I have made the time. That's what you have to do. You have to make time. Uh, if you if you try to find the time, you'll never find it, right? So you just have to make it. Um, and so I've been making the time uh, the last couple of weeks, and have made a lot of progress on that. There's a technology learning curve for me, uh, but anyway, we we are learning, and the Lord is helping us. And so hopefully, we'll be having that uh, announcement. Uh, pretty quickly, praise God. All right, um, Joel, can you do you have a phone with you? Can you make sure we're uh, on Facebook because it says here that we are, but I'm getting some messages from folks asking me uh, about it, and so I don't know. It's just mine, Mark Winslet. Yeah. So, all right. So praise God. While well, He does that, and maybe a, 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 some audio coming in, but let's just go ahead and pray, and, and we'll dive right in. Father, thank you for this time together this evening. Thank you for your great love. 
Thank you for all that you have done for us, all that you have made available to us. And Lord, as we come before you this evening, Lord, we ask you to, to, to help us connect with your truth, eternal truth, Father, things that you put in place long, long, long before we ever existed on this earth. But yet, Lord, you put those things in place for us. Uh, your word says that you hid them for us, Lord, hidden wisdom for our glory. And so, Lord, uh, we come with a heart of a seeker. We know that you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. So we come, Father, um, knowing, Father, that everyone who seeks finds. And so, Lord, we come in faith believing that we're going to discover truth and have our eyes open to things tonight, Lord, that uh, maybe we've never seen before, uh, maybe we've seen before and have forgotten or let slip, uh, or, Lord, see them in a way and in a deeper way uh, than ever. And so we believe you for that. We acknowledge the Holy Spirit as our teacher tonight. And we look forward to receiving from him in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So we're, we're okay. All right. Somebody must be a little bit confused. So but there's no way to tell them, right? It's like I want to tell them. It's like, look, just do this. But they're not hearing me to say uh, how to do that, right? So anyway, praise God. So let's, um, let's begin with just a couple of points of review. And this has been one that I just really want to continue to emphasize to you. And that's every born-again believer has been called by God to do the work of the ministry. Okay, the work of the ministry is not just for the pastor, the, the evangelist, the missionary, the teacher. Um, those uh, men and women who occupy those offices are given the task, the assignment of equipping the rest of the body of Christ to do the work of the ministry. And as I've reminded you over and over again, your standing with God is not based upon uh, what you do for God, okay? Your standing with God is based upon what Jesus has done for you. Amen. And that's very important. We need to rest in that. Remember, I think it was last week we mentioned a little bit of the difference between uh, Apostle John and Apostle Peter. And Peter was always talking about and bragging about how much he loved Jesus. John, on the other hand, was always talking about how much Jesus loved him. And that's, that's where our real confidence ne needs to rest. I'm not saying that what we do for God is not important. It is. But our confidence doesn't need to be in, uh, you know, how well we've served or how much, uh, you know, how many classes we've been to or how, how much church we've attended, how much money we've given. All those things are important. But those, are not, those things are not what determine our right standing with God. Our right standing with God is based upon a gift we received and an identity we became the day we became a new creation in Christ Jesus. So again, your right standing with God is not based upon what you do, but your rewards are based upon what you do. And the Bible's very clear about it, that one day we'll stand before God and we will be uh, judged and rewarded based upon what we've done with what we were given, okay? When you stand before God one day, He's not going to ask you, why weren't you Moses, you know? Uh, why, why weren't you uh, uh, James or, or some other hero of faith? But He's going to ask you, you know, about you being who He created you to be. And you doing with um, what he gave you, um, you know, what you could, amen, to make a difference, make a mark on this world for his glory, amen. We've said a giant step towards maturity is when you move beyond yourself and serve someone else. You will never grow and develop until you take this step. And so this is why a lot of people in the body of Christ are locked in a perpetual state of immaturity. It's because they never, want to, they never want to serve God. They never want to serve God by serving other people. And that's one of the things that, that we'll see as we, again, some of these things we just introduce and then we develop more and more as, as we move along. But one of the ways, for, for example, one of the ways that I love God is by loving you. And if I say that I love God, but 
do not have any practical application of love in your direction, the Bible says, I'm a liar. So I cannot love God if I don't love you. And, and I believe it even boils down to I express my love to God by expressing my love to you. And in, the same is true in serving. We serve God by serving people, by serving others. Amen. And this is why, you know, so many of God's people are, are not growing and developing and maturing in the things of God. It's because they've, they've never gotten beyond themselves and church being about only about what they can get out of it, you know. Uh, and, and listen, I want you to get things out of these classes. I want you to personally benefit from these classes. But the, the trajectory of these classes, the, the, the um, perspective of these classes is not just you come, you learn, you grow, you benefit, but you become equipped so that you can be more effective in what it is that God has called you to do. Now, when we say every born-again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry, I want to uh, give you an umbrella, so to speak, of what that ministry uh, actually is. And the Bible calls it the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation. Now, we are beginning our seventh class, and I know some of you have been here for every one or almost every one of them. Some of you brand new tonight, so welcome. But if you attend more than three of these classes, you'll see how they don't just have a different subject matter, but sometimes they have a different flavor. And, and I don't know if that's the right word to use. But when I say they have a different flavor, you know, sometimes we're, we're plowing, sometimes we're flowing, sometimes we're building, sometimes um, we're basking in what's been built. You know, it's just there's ebb and flow to these things. Amen. And this is how we learn, this is how we grow, and this is how we develop. And so with that said, some of these classes are going to be a bit more, again, I don't know the right word, but this is the best word I know to use, a, a little more tedious. And what I mean by tedious is, you know, we're going to have to drill down into some things, look at some different verses, cover a whole bunch of stuff. And sometimes that can almost be like overwhelm, you know. Uh, I've heard it explained this way, it's trying to drink from a fire hydrant. You know, it's just like just all this, you know, coming at you at, at once. So... Remember now, um, Jesus' disciples, and it's one, of, it's one of the hallmarks of a disciple, is that they recognized that God had truth for them coming from Jesus to them. And even though there were times Jesus said things that they didn't fully grasp or even understand at all, they remained committed to Jesus to, to continue to learn and to grow up into the things that He was saying to them. And if we're only... Uh, I've said this a few times already, if, if we only hear things that we already know and have already to at least some extent mastered, okay, then how, how can we grow? So we've, we've got to allow the Word of God to stretch us. And um, so I'm not trying to prepare you for a dull and boring class, far from it. But tonight's going to be kind of one of those classes that, you know, it's like, okay, we're going to move on to something else. But, but this, this is foundational here. Um, let me say this now, and I'll more than likely say it again, and maybe two more times tonight, okay? Everything that God does in you, He eventually wants to use you and do that through you. So, for instance, when, when you were born again, that's something God did in you. Now, He wants to use you to bring somebody else to a salvation experience. Amen. When, um, when uh, you were baptized in the Holy Spirit... See, now God wants to use you to lead other people into that same experience. When God set you free from sin, 
He wants to use you as an instrument of righteousness to help other people experience that same freedom from sin. So anything that God does in you, He wants to do through you. And so when we talk about the ministry of reconciliation, I want you to kind of picture it as an umbrella. There are a lot of different ways that the ministry of reconciliation plays itself out in, in individual lives, but yet this is ultimately the ministry uh, that every born-again believer has been called to. I use my, my son as an example. I've never thought of it quite this way, but my son is, um, is a, what do you say, a B-S-N-R-N, okay? Um, and so he's, you know, simplified. He's a nurse. And what I did not realize about the field of nursing until my son became a nurse is all the different ways, uh, all the different jobs that a, that a nurse can, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, he can work in surgery, he can work in ER, he, he worked in uh, ICU. There's, there's all kinds of different ways to do nursing, right, uh, and, and express, uh, you know, his, his giftings and his education in those areas. So think of the ministry of reconciliation like that, okay? Uh, and there's what I'm doing right now is the ministry of reconciliation. And, and I, again, we'll explain that more as we, as we go along. Uh, you say, no, Pastor Mark, you're teaching. Well, teaching is, is, is a function of the ministry of reconciliation. Um, somebody calling you on your way home tonight uh, that's got a problem in, in their lives and they need you to pray for them and need you to maybe share some wisdom or something. That's the ministry of reconciliation. It's just playing itself out in a one-on-one -on -one encounter or experience. So when we say the ministry of reconciliation, it, it's kind of wordy. It sounds real formal. Uh, but again, that's, we use that term because that's the term the Bible uses. That's the term God uses, okay? So we said last week that God has a one-item agenda that can be expressed in one word, and that word is reconciliation. So if you, if you kind of understand reconciliation as, as an umbrella about many things, then you'll understand why this quote from Dr. Neil Anderson is an accurate quote. Now let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 14. I'm not going to uh, hopefully comment as much on some of these things as I did last week as we work our way through this. But we said that um, 2 Corinthians 5 verses 14 through 21 is the crossroads of many important doctrines. And, and a doctrine is just simply a system of teaching. So the Bible teaches us about a lot of important subjects. And what makes these verses, uh, I think, so special and so unique is that we see so many of these um, different systems of teaching all being mentioned uh, in one way or another. But Pay close attention because they're all focused around the unveiling of this uh, title, the Ministry of Reconciliation. All right? So um, let's begin here in verse 14. He says, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And so we see two very important things here that anything we do for God needs to be motivated by a love for God. And, and Paul had this great understanding, this great revelation of the love that God has. And the more he understood about the love that God had for him, the more he realized that God had that same love for everyone else, um, Jew or Gentile alike. And it was that love that compelled him to do some of the very extreme things even 
um, that he did. Okay? So the, the more we know and the more we understand the depth, the, the width, the length, the height, the magnitude, the full scope, if you will, of God's love for us. Notice it has to begin with us, right? We've got to realize, you know, you love others as you love yourself. And if, if you don't understand the love that God has for you and accept that love for yourself, it's going to limit your ability uh, to do for others. You'll always find yourself trying to compete with others. You'll always find yourself, you know, feeling uh, threatened and so forth and so on. But when you realize that, man, it's the only motivation here, the only compulsion here is love, um, this is when, amen, we really find this, you know, sweet spot in life. And when it says we judge thus, he's not talking about passing judgment on somebody. He's talking about coming to a conclusion that if one died for all, then all died. And this is speaking of the substitutional work, uh, Jesus as our substitute. So when he died, we died with him. And we will get into that in, uh, in its fullness, the full measure of the teaching, that, that doctrine, if you will. Uh, but again, we see it mentioned here. It says, And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Now, when you see therefore in the Scriptures, think of it as based upon what we've just looked at. And in this case, the therefore is not just verses 14 and 15. But sometimes it therefore can be multiple verses or even multiple chapters. But the idea is therefore connects this thought with the thoughts that came before it, but, but not just connects. In, in some cases, we, we could read it this way. So based upon all of this, we have this. All right. Are you with me still? Yeah. Everybody good? All right. So this is a very beautiful and important uh, verse. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Okay? So what part of us does God look at? What part of us does God see? The outward part or the inward part? The inward part, right? God looks upon the heart. And he's challenging you and me here to do the same thing. In other words, when, if, if we base our love for people upon you know, how they look or how they act or how they smell or what they present as or all these other things, we're, we're going to miss, you know, uh, the, the, their true value and their true worth. And then the other thing as well, and I, and I keep saying that, you know, we will, we will talk about this later, and I hope I'm not frustrating you by saying that because there's just so much here. Um, I think I said this last week. If not, let me make sure I say it uh, for sure this week. Virtually every class that we have after this one will somehow have uh, connections back to these uh, verses. Okay, So that's why when I get into, into all this, I looked at some of the uh, notes from previous classes. There, there have been times that we spent like two weeks just on the part that, um, that I'm doing right now. We're not going to do that hopefully, unless the Lord leads us to, but I don't think we are, okay, just in praying about and getting my head wrapped around what we're going to cover tonight. But, it, it was, and you say, well, how could we do that? Well, I can, I can say all those things now and then say them again later when we get to that part, or I can just briefly mention them here and, and tag you with, if you want to know more about this, stay tuned, because there's a lot more um, that uh, is coming. But remember um, that this applies to you, and your perspective and image of yourself, not just how you look at other people, right? And though sometimes, sometimes we can get really skilled in seeing the best in other people and recognizing that they are more than their outward appearance and they are more than their outward behavior, 
But sometimes we don't extend ourselves that same uh, grace and mercy, right? And, and so uh, in the same way that um, people you love and care for and are trying to serve and minister are more than their outward appearance, so are you. And don't lose uh, sight of that. And again, we will talk about it in much detail later on. Now, the other thing, and, and this is a, a, a real clue that we're covering a lot of different things but they're related, and these connecting words uh, are, are trying to point to uh, those relationships, those connections. So if you'll notice, then verse 17 begins with a therefore as well. So it's therefore upon therefore, and, and now then, uh, you know, we see that here in just a moment. He uses the, the expression now then. So verse 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, let me remind you that when we see a scripture that doesn't quite seem to match our current experience, we don't try to bring the scripture down to match our experience but we let the Scripture stand as something God has said and allow the power in that Scripture to bring our experience up to match it, okay? So if God says that if, and by the way, to be in Christ means to be born again. If God says if you're in Christ, you're a new creation, old things are gone and all things are new, okay, <laughs> then that's what it means, even if it doesn't appear to be that way in your life right now. Okay, and that's really important. In the evening service tonight at Heritage, you're going to talk a little more about uh, faith and what faith is. But, but what we see is that, is that faith is full persuasion that something is done even when there's no sense realm natural uh, evidence uh, you know, that says it is or even evidence that says it's not. Okay, but remember, faith is the evidence. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things that we cannot see. So just because you can't see this verse being played out in your life right now does not mean it is not true. Anybody remember the biggest mistake Nicodemus made from last week's class? Anybody? 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 Do what now? <coughs> Looked at it from a worldly expectation or a one-dimensional expectation, right? How can a man when he's old go back in his mother's womb and be, be born a second time? He's trying to comprehend something Jesus is saying from a one-dimensional physical body first and only perspective. Well, obviously, you've you got to remember I told you, you've got to think three-dimensionally to understand the Bible. So when, when he says the old is completely gone and everything has become new, he's, he's certainly not talking about our bodies, and he's certainly not talking about our minds and our emotions and our will, okay? That, those two parts are still a work in progress and the body is a future work, right? So what must he be talking about? Our spirit, right? Amen. So it's the spirit. That's the part that has, um, you know, all things have become new. Old, has, old is gone and all is new. And so notice he goes on to further clarify. Now... All things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So <clears throat> I hope I wasn't being annoying. Sometimes when I listen back to these classes and sermons, you know, how I inflect my voice, I can just picture, uh, you know, folks like snickering. It's like, what in the world is he saying it like that, you know? Um, but I'm trying to put emphasis on the words now, amen, <laughs> uh, uh, has reconciled, is that past, present, or future tense? 
has reconciled. That's past tense, right? Has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So a lot of people read um, has reconciled and they hear will reconcile. They don't see it as something that's already been done. They see it as something that hopefully will be done one day. Right? You see the difference in here. It says here that you have been given the ministry of reconciliation. And we're like, well, you know, maybe when I finish discipleship class and, and uh, you know, get my four-year Bible school degree or something. No, no, that's not what he says. It says you have been given the ministry of reconciliation. On Monday morning at the Foundries, we've been talking a little bit from uh, uh, Jesus' parable of the man who had two sons, also referred to or known as the parable of the prodigal son. And did the father in that story who represents our Heavenly Father, did he wait to see if that young man could prove himself worthy before he restored him? No. He went ahead and gave him the ring, gave him the shoes, gave him the robe, restored him on the spot. So you have been given, you have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Now, you may have never heard that before. You may not, as we said last week, you, you, the, the ministry of reconciliation may be the first time last week or tonight that you've ever even heard those words in a sentence together. But it doesn't change the fact that, that when you were born again, you were given that ministry. And if you were given that ministry, you have that ministry right now. A whole other teaching all in of itself. But the Bible says anytime God gives you a gift, it's irrevocable. Um, in other words, when God gives you something, He will not take it back from you. Okay? So you have been given the ministry of reconciliation. That's why some of you in this room, some of you watching online, in some of the lowest, darkest places of your life, you found ministry coming out of you in, in places you should have never been, doing things you should have never done with people you should have never been with and doing them with. And yet, in some of those darkest moments, you know, maybe tears running down your face. You're telling somebody about Jesus, telling somebody about some experience you have with God. Again, see, that's the ministry of reconciliation that has been given to you, that's in you. Amen. So it goes on to kind of further explain this in verse 19. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now, this, I'm not really pointing out all these separate doctrines as we work our way through here, but this is another really important one. For God, John 3.16, for God so loved the Jew, for God so loved the Baptist, for God so loved uh, black people, white people, Hispanic. No, He loved the world, right? And so what Jesus did on this earth as a man, He did for all humankind, Okay, um, Some of the most powerful verses you will ever read and understand along these lines are all the verses that refer to Jesus as a once and for all sacrifice for sins. Okay, One sacrifice for all sin for all time. Okay, So when he says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, he's like, well, was that, was that the world meaning people alive when Jesus was here? Or was that the people who came before Jesus? Or, you know, where does that leave us? No, literally one sacrifice for all sin for all time. I, I, don't, I don't want to freak you out, but Jesus has been punished, paid for, and forgiven you and me for sin that we haven't committed yet. And you're like, how could he forgive me for sin that's in the future? 
We'll talk about these things in greater detail in the days ahead. But listen to me, please. When He forgave you for your sin, all of your sin was future. You, you hadn't lived yet to commit a sin. Amen. Amen. One of the things we're going to cover in the, in the service this evening is, is the concept of things done. Let me come back over to the camera right quick. Things done. When it says faith is the substance of things hoped for, that word things there is one of the most important words in that whole verse. It's, it's in there twice, okay? And it's literally the things there means things done. See, we, we hear things hoped for, and, and the word hope tends to, to draw our thinking towards things yet to be done. Things need to be done. Things will be done. Things are being done. No, no. Things done. Okay? Bought and paid for. And that's what Jesus did for us. Think, think about it this way. If, let's say somebody in this room, I don't sense this in my spirit or anything, but let's say somebody in this room has never been born again, never received salvation. All right? And you just say, Pastor Mark, I've never received salvation. I, I want to receive salvation right now, and I don't even want you to wait to finish this class. Okay? Well, it's so important we wouldn't wait to finish this class. We would go ahead and take care of that right now. But here's the question. Think about it. What would Jesus have to do for someone in this room to be born again right now? Nothing. See, he's already done everything necessary for anybody on planet Earth to be born again. So it's, it's, it's a thing done. So we enter into it by receiving what love has already provided for us. But here's the thing now. We, got, we can't lose this. And I, Oh, sweet Jesus, I don't need, I'm going down another road right now. But let, let me go down just real quick like, okay? Just because God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son to pay for the sins of all humanity, that doesn't mean all humanity is saved. Because as important as the love is, love can only take it so far without someone believing. Faith is how we receive what Jesus has done for us. Amen. Are you seeing this? So think of it. I, this is the, the imagery that the Lord showed me recently, okay? Is, you know, think of it as a relay race, you know? Love takes the baton to a certain point, but if it's ever going to make a difference in your life, by faith, you're going to have to grab hold of that uh, baton. And then after you receive it, faith then hands the baton to hope. Because faith's results are immediate, but they're not immediately visible. And so what carries us from uh, receiving by faith across the finish line of manifestation? Hope does that. Okay? So when he, when he says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation, he's talking about what has been done. He's talking about a thing done. Amen. Do you, do you, see, do you see how the Apostle Paul is realizing these things? He's, he's coming to an understanding of these things that, man, God loved the world, and, and he did this for everybody, not just for me, not just for the Jew. And so do you see how that an understanding of God's love for humankind compelled him to um, do what he did in way of ministry for the rest of the world. Okay, so I mentioned this before some of you got here. This time of year, it's really challenging to regulate the temperature in this room because the thermostat's not in this room. It's in the hallway out there. Now, it's okay if I'm the only one, but it seems to be getting a little warm in here, okay? So, but the thermostat sees probably on like 70-something or whatever. So would somebody, Sean, do you mind doing it? If you go out and go, it's on the back side of that wall right there. It's a digital thermostat. All you got to do is just drop it down a couple of degrees, and it'll, amen, kick on. Is everybody okay? Yeah, I don't want to freeze you out, but I, don't, I want you to be comfortable as well. 
Um, this is a corny dad joke, but NASA keeps those really expensive computers in cold rooms, okay? So we want to keep your, your brain in a cold room, uh, and, and so it'll work like it's supposed to be worked, okay? So notice two, two important things here. He was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So two things, we'll come back to them. He's given you the ministry of reconciliation. He's reconciled the world to himself. And now he has committed to you and me the word of reconciliation. Anybody want to take a guess as to what the word of reconciliation is? It's the word of God. Okay, I'm just not trying to give a trick question. That's just a, a beautiful poetic way of referring to the word of God. So here we go with another now. All right, verse number 20. Separate doctrine, but showing the relationship. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. I'm feeling compelled to give this to you one more time in the Passion Translation. So let me do that, and I will move through it quickly, okay? For it is Christ's love that fuels our passion and motivates us, because we are absolutely convinced that He has given His life for all of us. This means all died with Him, so that those who live should no longer live self-absorbed lives, but lives that are poured out for Him, the one who died for us and now lives again. I hope that your life experience up until this point and my life experience up to this point has proven a lot of things to us. But I hope that the one thing, at least we'll focus on tonight, that it has proven to us is that a self-absorbed life is not what it is cracked up to be. <laughs> All right? You know, it's, it just seems like, man, you know, if I could just ever have a life where I just do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. Well, if you've ever tried to live your life that way, you know that life doesn't work like that. Amen. I'm not saying that you can't you know, just uh, forget about everybody else and do whatever you want, you know, whether you can afford to or not. That, that, doesn't, that doesn't matter and it hasn't stopped us, right, uh, from trying. But the self-absorbed life is, um, it is contrary to how we were created and we will never find the joy and the contentment and the satisfaction and the meaningfulness that, um, that we were all created by God to experience and enjoy if we live our lives that way. Okay, let's keep going here. Uh, verse number 16. So then, from now on, we have a new perspective that refuses to evaluate people merely by their outward appearance. For that's how we once viewed the anointed one, but we no longer... But no longer do we see him with limited human insight. Now, if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new creation. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. Verse 18, And God has made all things new and reconciled us to himself and given us the ministry of reconciling others to God. In other words, it was through the anointed one that God was shepherding the world, not even keeping records of their transgressions, and has entrusted to us the ministry of opening the door of reconciliation to God. So I didn't, I didn't comment on something a moment ago, and the Holy Spirit kind of prompted me right there. Um, we see it here where it says not even keeping record of their transgressions in verse 19. In the New King James Version, it says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. And here's the, here's the term, not imputing their trespasses to them. Not imputing their trespasses to them. 
Now, I know that, you know, again, folks get nervous and anxious and starts, you know, religious spirit flare-ups and all these other things. But if you read it, and this is not taken out of context, and as the Bible says, in the mouth of two or more witnesses, let every matter be established. What we see is that God is no longer keeping record of our sins. And, and that kind of boggles a lot of people's minds and it challenges some of the religiously held traditions that they have and what they preached at Mama Nim's church and all sort of stuff. But I'm, I'm just telling you that's, that's, that's what it says and we see that God prophesied there was coming a day when it would be that way and that day of course would be realized in the person of Jesus Christ and what he was going to do for us. Did I mention he's one sacrifice for all sin for all time? And, and so we see then that he's no longer keeping a record. Not imputing literally means he's, he's, he's no longer keeping a record uh, of that. It's not about keeping score anymore. Okay, Jesus has made you right with God. And your right standing with God is based upon what Jesus did for you as you. And has nothing to do with what you've done to earn or deserve that standing. It's a gift. It's one of the greatest gifts. And by the way, we didn't ask for that gift. I always try to point that out. It wasn't like, you know, I was going to negotiate some deal with God and I sat down at, across the table from him and I'm like, look, you either give me a deal where you don't even keep record of my sin anymore or me and you are not even going to talk. You know, I said, no, I would have never asked for that. Am I right about this? I would have never asked for that. I was like, God, if you just don't send me to hell, you know, I, I, anything we can do to keep me out of hell, uh, I'm happy, you know. Um, but see, he went above and beyond. That's grace, right? That's, that's Father's extravagant love uh, that he has uh, for us. And so I know for a lot of folks that, especially if you were, if you were raised up in, in fear-based, performance-based religion, you know, where they try to scare you into living right and all these other things. But yet, what we see in Scripture is that when we, 1 John 3, when we have the hope that only comes from knowing the love that God has for us, that it's that love that motivates us to purify our lives even as Christ is pure. That's a paraphrase of 1 John chapter 3, verses 1, 2, and 3. So it's just the opposite of what, of what religion told us. You know, they tried to scare us, shame us, guilt us, and condemn us into living right. Am I the only one? You know, it's like threaten you with hell every Sunday, um, tell you what a low-down, dirty dog sinner you are, and you better get down to this altar right now and repent because you're going to step outside this, truck and get hit, outside this church and get hit by a Mack truck. And you're going to bust hell wide open. And just all these other crazy, you know, expressions, you know, that I'm just giving you kind of a, uh, <laughs> what is it when the montage of, of all these things, right? And, um, and then play just as I am and, and stare you down for 20 minutes, right? And, and listen, I'm, we, people need to get born again, but that's not Jesus. Jesus bled to death naked on a cross to set you free from guilt, fear, shame, and condemnation. Those things aren't in my toolbox, Paul didn't say, you know, condemnation is what compels me. No, it's the love of God, this extravagant love, this, this, this full dimension of God's love uh, that we can have and know and be filled with all the fullness of God by understanding it is, is what uh, compels him. So if, if that makes you um, a little uncomfortable, a little nervous, then just hang around, okay, because you need to get set free uh, from uh, that kind of uh, religious condemnation and, and, and threat and, and, and really be free uh, to know uh, that, that God's going to love you. My, uh, my son, I've shared this story a few times, but um, he was taking swim lessons, just a little boy, I don't know, three, four years old, and it was time to jump off the diving board, kind of the final thing of the swim class. And, 
And the diving board at the YMCA in those days um, was, it wasn't a high dive, but it wasn't, it was higher than an average low dive, okay? And so his, his swim instructor's in the water and, sh and she's treading water and she's trying to get him to jump and all the kids are in the line behind him and he's standing there barking his fingernails, you know? Uh, and so, you know, just, you know, we all think he's gonna back out, you know? And just when you think he's fixing to turn around and take the walk of shame, you know, down the, down the ladder, I don't know if, no offense by that, you know what I'm saying, that not, not that anybody there would have shamed him, but he would have shamed himself, right? Um, he jumps in the water, almost surprised his instructor. And, uh, and Joel's dad, uh, Joel's my nephew, uh, his dad, Mark, was the first one to my son, John Mark. And, um, and he hugged him and congratulated him. And um, he said, what made you finally jump? And he said, Uncle Mark, he said, I knew that Jesus would love me whether I jumped or not. So I jumped. Do you see the difference there? When you know he's going to love you, he's going to love you whether you get it right or whether you keep getting it wrong. It'll make you want to get it right. Do you understand what I'm saying here? See, religion doesn't tell us that. Religion doesn't explain that. To the religion, oh, sweet Jesus, help me, God. Amen. So, Amen. If, if not imputing your sins to you is something you've never heard, let me apologize to whoever, let me apologize for whoever preached the word to you when you were growing up and all these other things, okay? Uh, but that's exactly what the scripture says, and that's exactly the covenant that we have. And um, that doesn't mean if we go cut a fool and do something dumb that there won't be consequences, okay? But that's not God's will for your life, all right? And if, and if you do something dumb and it, and it ends your life early, he'll be there, you know, hugging you and loving you and you know, welcoming you home. Amen. Are you with me? Because the Bible says if Jesus makes you a son of God, you abide in Father's house forever. The Bible says a servant doesn't abide in the Father's house, right? But a, but a son abides in the Father's house forever. See, we read that and we, and we think, you know, well, if you become a son, you know, he's talking about a slave to sin, right? He says if you commit sin, you're a slave to sin. But if the son, make, if the, if the son of God makes you a son of God, then you abide in Father's house forever. The part that we never, that I think we sometimes fail to, to connect there is that, that when you become a son of God, that doesn't mean you don't ever make a mistake again. See, I was taught growing up that the minute you, made a, you committed a sin and made a mistake, that the Holy Spirit left you and you was no longer born again. And you, again, lies, lies, lies from the devil. Okay. But when you, when you understand these things, grace, the Bible says, the grace of God that has brought salvation has appeared to all men. And it's this grace, Titus 2.11. All these are doctrines we'll get to later, okay? Parts of doctrines that we'll get to later. But he says the grace of God is what teaches us to live righteously and soberly in this present evil world. See, there are a lot of people in, in organized religion who are afraid, even though they know what the Bible says about grace, they're afraid to teach it because... They're afraid that people will use grace as an excuse to sin. When do we ever need an excuse to sin? It's never, right? So a lot of these things are counterproductive. And you can see why, if I'm not careful, I can spend three weeks right here and never get past, uh, you know, two translations of, of these verses, okay? Um, but are you at least getting a feel now for why, you know, 14 through 21 in 2 Corinthians 5, so, so critically important in all the things that are coming together um, uh, in all of this, okay? Amen or oh me, you still with me? Praise God. Oh, if I'm not careful, I get lost in all this. It's just, it's so rich. It's so wonderful. Man, this is, he's talking about you right here. Amen. And we, you know, we, somebody we read this, they well, you know, I wonder who that's, wonder what that's about, who that's about. It's about you, dude. It's about you, dude. Dad, he's talking about us. Amen. Praise God. 
You know, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting how many things people take personally when it comes to their church experience, right? But never get around to taking the Word of God personally. You know, I mean, some lady in the church can wear the same pair of shoes as another lady in the church, and she all of a sudden takes it personally. Somebody, they know I sit there, I've sit there every Sunday for the last 17 years, and they got my place. And we take, we take where we sit personally, where we park personally, what we wear personally. But then, you know, the very thing we should be taking personally, we just let sail right over our head and wonder who he's talking about. Amen. He's talking about us, and this is good news. Amen. So let me just say it one more time because the devil doesn't want me to. In other words, it was through the anointed one that God was shepherding the world, not even keeping records of their transgressions. And he has entrusted to us the ministry of opening the door of reconciliation to God. I've got to say one last thing, at least on this subject, okay? So you know what this means? There's only one sin that will send a man or woman to hell. That's rejecting light. That's what, if we'd have kept reading in John 3, that's what Jesus went on to explain to Nicodemus, right? Because every other sin has been paid for. Are you seeing this? So the only, you know, praise God. Jesus came to a world, again, according to John 3, that was already condemned. He didn't come to this world to condemn anybody. He came to a world full of people who already condemned. He came to provide a way out of the condemnation for us. And by the way, I'm not trying to get graphic and for small children watching. I know these do. Condemned means damned to hell. Okay? I mean, that's, if we just want to get graphic about it, that's what it means. And that was every one of us. And we were doomed and there was nothing we could do about it. We were separated from God and we had no hope whatsoever of being reconnected with Him. But Jesus came and made a way, paid the price took the blame, took the punishment for everything any human being on this planet ever will or ever has done wrong and turned right around and gave you the credit and the reward for every act of obedience, everything he ever has done right. This is, this is the gospel. This is the good news of our salvation. And it's glorious. It's glorious. It is so much more than any of us, the most, the most uh, mature believer in this room who studied these things and knows these things and walks these things out, okay? The most mature person watching online right now, amen. The most mature person participating in all of this, listen to me, we still haven't scratched the surface as to all that God has put in us and all that He has uh, empowered us and enabled us to do, all that we became the day that we became a new creation in Christ Jesus, okay? So, one more time. In other words, it was through the anointed one that God was shepherding the world, not even keeping records of their transgressions, and He has entrusted to us the ministry of opening the door of reconciliation to God. So we'll keep going here, verse number 20. We are ambassadors of the anointed one who carry the message of Christ to the world, as though God were tenderly pleading with them directly through our lips... So we tenderly plead with you on Christ's behalf, turn back to God and be reconciled to Him. Now, we see it worded this way in the Passion Translation um, in uh, uh, verse uh, 20. Let me read verse 20 to you again um, in the New King James Version. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. What he's saying here as an ambassador, 
think for a moment, again, this is a doctrine, we'll develop it in greater detail later. I'm just trying to introduce you to at least, you know, samples, so to speak, of all of this thing. But, so we have the United States of America, the government uh, of the United States of America, we have ambassadors who represent our interest in foreign lands. Remember, we're in this world, we're not of it. Our citizenship is where? It's heaven, right? Our home, this isn't our homeland, heaven is our home. Heaven is our, is our home country. And so we are ambassadors for our home government, amen, representing our home government here on this earth. So an ambassador for the United States that is in another country, okay, um, does that ambassador speak for himself or herself or give what they think or make decisions based upon what they would like to see happen? No. I'm going to cut to the chase. No. The ambassador's responsibility is that when they speak, it's not just even that our president, in this case it would be President Biden, it's not just that when they open their mouth and speak that they're speaking for President Biden. When they open their mouth and speak, they're speaking on behalf of this entire nation. And so an ambassador is, is, is given talking points, so to speak. This is what you say. Because when the ambassador speaks, the amba you, you realize an ambassador can say the wrong thing and start a, a huge conflict, right? So the, the ambassador says what he's told to say from the home country. Amen. And so that's the word of reconciliation. Amen. So when you open your mouth and speak the word of reconciliation to other people, it's as if God himself is speaking directly through you to them. How cool is that? Amen. All right. Now, let's keep going here. So uh, <clears throat> verse 21, For God made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for us, so that we who did not know righteousness might become the righteousness of God through our union with Him. I like to say it this way, okay? Um, in order to balance the scales of justice, God had to find someone who was more undeserving of punishment than all of us combined were deserving of it. And Jesus was the only one who filled that bill. And thankfully, he agreed to pay that price for us. All right, so if we're going to understand reconciliation, we need to start by understanding this word reconcile. Reconcile means to reestablish a close relationship between, to make compatible or consistent. That's really important right there. To make compatible or consistent, to check against another for accuracy, to establish harmony between. Now, you know, we have here, what, one, two, three, four, what, five, let me see, one, two, three, four, <coughs> excuse me, four different versions or four different ways to define this word reconcile. And it just so happens that, that all of them are applicable um, when it comes to the biblical meaning and the biblical ministry of um, reconciliation, all right? Um, I said five because there's one that's not on this screen, and, and that one is reconciliation from the perspective of to change from enmity. And look carefully now if you're taking notes. Um, that word's not maybe what it sounds like. I didn't say enemy. Okay, I said enmity, E-N-M-I-T-Y. Okay, and, um, and enmity is the opposite of harmony. Enmity is the opposite of harmony. 
For instance, we'll look at this when we get there, but in, in Romans 8 we see that not only is it death to be carnally minded, but the carnal mind is enmity against God. Enmity against God. We'll have an entire section of a class on what it means to be carnal, but just to give you a little heads up, to be carnal is speaking of someone who has been born again, but still for the most part thinks like someone who has not been born again. This is a born again person who still thinks like someone who has not been born again. And so notice he says that the carnal mind, someone who is born again but thinks like someone who has not been born again, means they're thinking in a way that is enmity against God. So what is enmity? Enmity could be understood as a spectrum, okay? And um, the spectrum begins with just a simple difference of opinion. You say tomato, I say tomato, okay? Well, that's low-grade, low-level enmity in that you see it one way and I see it a slightly different way. So that would be the mildest form of enmity, Okay, all the way to the opposite uh, extreme, uh, not the opposite extreme, but the other end of the spectrum extreme, which would be violent hatred. Violent hatred would also be enmity. So when we talk about enmity, we're talking about something that is in disagreement with or is, is not in alignment with God's plans, God's purposes, God's ways, God's wisdom, all those things for our life. Because ultimately, being reconciled to God means coming into alignment with, coming into harmony with, coming into agreement with God. And again, another way of saying that is the sweet spot of life when we are living in harmony and in agreement with God. So let's go back to uh, this particular definition. Uh, the first part of this, to reestablish close relationship between. I think we mentioned this on last week where we use the example of a husband and wife that may have separated uh, but then come back together. We say that they reconciled. We say that they reconciled. In the early days of heritage, we actually had a divorce attorney call the church and say that, that, um, I, that he didn't know what was going on down here, but this church was costing him business. Okay, because we had we had a lot of folks that were reconciling, that were getting back together. God was healing their marriages, and it and it was a a, a beautiful uh, beautiful thing. Even some folks that had divorced, that um, I had the privilege and honor of of remarrying. Some folks that had not divorced, but they've been separated for a long time. And they wanted to renew um, their vows, and uh, and some of those folks still. Uh, a part of this church and happily married now 20 some odd years later. So that would be one understanding of reconciling between two people. It could happen, you know, not necessarily in a marriage relationship, maybe a business partnership or something like that. There's some disagreement, some enmity, you know, where, uh, you know, they want to uh, build a factory in Poughkeepsie and whatever that place is, you know, Peoria, and, and, uh, and, and another partner says, no, we need to build it in Jackson, Mississippi. And so they have a, that's enmity, right, because they're, they're at, a, at odds with one another, disagreement with one another. So to reestablish a close relationship between, as it relates to being reconciled to God, remember, we came forth from God. Um, he knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. He had a relationship with you. And, and, and again, big doctrine. Um, but if you think about it without boggling your mind too much, okay, uh, where were you when Adam sinned? 
And I know that it's not a trick question, but the answer is, is shocking and tells a lot, okay? Um, you were in Him. You were in Adam when Adam sinned. We were all in Him. We were all in Adam when, it, when Adam sinned. We were in Him in seed form, okay? That's why His sin had such impact upon all of us because when Adam sinned, we all sinned with him. When Adam sinned, all of Adam's seed sinned. Now you say, well, I don't look at it that way, Pastor Mark. Well, you need to because that's the way God looks at it. And he explains that to us in, um, throughout the Word of God, but specifically we see it in Hebrews, the ninth chapter. More to come on that. So when a man or woman is born again, you think, well, they just came to God. They just started a relationship with God. God doesn't see it that way. He sees it as a relationship that he originally established that was severed by sin that has now been reestablished. Okay? And so it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. The next part of this is to make compatible or consistent. To make compatible or consistent. All right? So one of the, one of the things that, that we're going to look at um, as well uh, in, uh, in, in greater detail is that, is that God created you to have fellowship with Him, to have um, union with Him. And, um, and so He made you comparable. <clears throat> Don't get freaky on that, okay? He made you comparable to Himself because He wanted you to be compatible with Him. Comparability and compatibility go hand in hand. See, remember in the garden before Adam and Eve sinned, God would come in the cool of the evening and fellowship with them he would spend time with them. He would hang out with them. Now, <clears throat> I, when I teach on this extensively, I use the example of my little Yorkie. Um, you know, I have, I have a relationship uh, with him, and it's one that brings me joy and hopefully brings him joy as well. But the relationship that I have with my puppy is not the same relationship that I have with my wife or with my son or my children or my grandchildren or, for that matter, with, with, with you. Why is that? Because I'm, I'm not um, comparable to the Yorkie, and the Yorkie's not comparable to me. So God made us in His likeness and in His image to look like He looks and to function the way He functions, um, comparable so that there could be compatibility. God wants to live in harmony with you. He wants to, to live in compatibility with you. So to make compatible or consistent... This obviously begins with salvation and what God does through the work of salvation at the very deepest level of our existence, our spirit, okay? But we see it also continues uh, through the process of discipleship where our minds are being renewed and we're learning to think in, uh, you know, consistently with God. We're learning to think in ways that are compatible with God and God's ways. Amen or amen? I like this next uh, part of the definition, to check against another for accuracy, to check against another for accuracy. Now, to tell you how much things have changed in our world since we started these classes 19 years ago, okay, is that this used to be a really uh, humdinger of an illustration, but, but things have changed so much. But if you understand the concept of reconciling a checkbook, Anybody understand that concept? Okay. A lot of times we do it online now. Online banking has kind of, um, you know, replaced the, uh, the paper statement that comes and, and, and that sort of thing. I don't receive a paper statement for my check, check account any, any longer. Um, we still do here at the church, even though we, we 
we keep all the books on a computer. Um, but if you think about what you do when you reconcile a checkbook, okay, this will help you if, you if you just kind of tune in here for just a minute, all right? So <clears throat> let's say, you know, on your phone or in your checkbook registry, um, you know, you, you look because you've written down all the deposits you've made and you've written down all the checks that you've written and, oh, what about those ATM withdrawals? Man, those come back to get us every time, don't they, right? So, but we think we got all the ATM withdrawals and, um, oh, that's right, we got 20 more dollars at the grocery store that day when we used our debit card that I put down. Anyway, so we, we're not sure. We got what we think we have. Then we get the statement from the bank, and it's time to check what we think we have against something else for accuracy. Are you seeing this? Okay. So you have, on one hand, what you think, <laughs> what you say you have financially, and then you have what the statement comes from the bank. And um, I'm not saying banks are above making a mistake, but every single time I've thought they made one, guess what? <laughs> but let me tell you what I know about God. He's never made a mistake. Okay. So the Bible that you have in your possession, think of that as the statement. Okay. And so reconciliation involves bringing what you think into alignment with what the truth is. So the statement from the bank is the truth about how much money you have right now in your account, okay, compared to what you think you have and your own um, uh, remembrance of these things. So when he says to check against another for accuracy, reconciliation has to do with bringing our thoughts into alignment with God's truth. And that's a process. That part of the ministry of reconciliation is an ongoing process. And so establish harmony between, again, uh, an ongoing process, uh, the change from enmity to harmony. That one is both an instant uh, occurrence as well as it's not either or in the case of from enmity to harmony. It, from enmity to harmony, it is uh, it's not uh, either or, it's both and. Okay, still with me up in here? All right, see, I told you something is going to get a little tedious. You hanging with me? Yeah? All right. It is uh, 6 16, so we got about 30 minutes. Can you hang in here another half hour? Somebody said before class that the classes seem to be going by quickly. Is this class going by quickly for you? Yeah? Okay. Let me give you a, a few, um, uh, another verse anyway. Um, I don't know how many of these we'll go through, but let's look at Colossians chapter 1 and uh, verse number 19. We'll look at 19. Through 22. Colossians 1, 19 through 22. Okay? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. All right, we're fixing to, uh, <clears throat> fixing to kind of bring some of these things together. I hope, hopefully, it will help you really see this picture, not just from a reconciliation standpoint. Let me remind you, okay, we're not just talking about reconciliation, we're talking about the ministry of reconciliation. But before we can ever understand what the ministry of reconciliation is, how to do it, what it looks like, if it's a ministry we've been given and we're supposed to be doing it, then we need to start with understanding what reconciliation is so then we can begin to develop an understanding of how we actually go about doing this thing called the ministry of reconciliation. Does that make sense? Okay, so just to kind of orient you as to what we're doing here, obviously we've spent, I don't know, the last 30, 40 minutes or so talking about reconciliation, but we're doing that so that we can then understand or have a better idea of what the ministry of reconciliation actually is. I said, according to Dr. Neil Anderson, God has a one-item agenda that can be expressed in one word, reconciliation. 
Well, you see now, you know, God is all about this. I mean, what Jesus did for us on this earth as a man, He did so that we could be reconciled to God. All right. So Colossians 1, uh, beginning at verse number 19, it says, For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell. So I know we just kind of jumped in here, but the Bible says that in Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now that's important because the Bible says that we're in Him and He's in us, and that because we're in Him and, and He's in us, that we now have the opportunity to be filled with all the fullness of God. So that you can literally be filled with what God is filled with and full of, to overflowing. If thoughts produce emotions and emotions influence our choices, then if we have the thoughts of God in our hearts and minds, what kind of emotions do you think those thoughts are going to produce? This is why Jesus said things like, I have said these things to you so that my joy can be in you and your joy can be full to overflowing. Thoughts produce emotions. Emotions influence choices. So if we learn to think in agreement with, in harmony with God, if we learn to think like God and have thoughts in our hearts and minds that God has in His, then guess what those emotions, those thoughts are going to produce? Ooh, sweet Jesus. How about I've said these things to you so that you can have my peace? Not as the world gives, do I give peace to you? How does the world give? The world gives, you know, now you owe me one. The world gives with strings attached. The world gives and will take it away just as fast as they give it to you. Jesus said, that's not how I give these things, right? He said, I give these things to you. But notice he said, I've said these things to you so that you can have my peace, my peace. You do realize that words, like I'm speaking words to you right now, these words are originating in my thoughts, and I'm now communicating those thoughts to you through the vehicles of, of words. Words are actually containers. Words contain meaning, right? If you didn't understand English, unless the Holy Spirit helps you, you'd have no idea what I'm saying right now. And so therefore, you would not be receiving the meaning that I'm trying to convey to you through the mechanism or through the vehicle or through the buckets, if you will, of words that are filled with meaning. Are you seeing this? All right? So if it's God's words... Where do those words come from? They come from the heart of God. They come from the mind of God. This, these are thoughts that came from God's heart. These are thoughts that came from God's mind. So we can take thoughts from His mind that came to us through the mechanism of His Word, put His Word, hide it in our hearts, get His Word in our mouth, meditate on His Word. Guess what happens? We start experiencing the emotions of God, the joy of God, the peace of God that passes all understanding. Peace that don't make sense is how I like to say that, right? Oh, man. We're, oh, we're going to have some fun. I'm telling you, we got a lot of stuff to cover. All right. So, for it pleased the Father that in Him, in Jesus, all the fullness should dwell. He put all the fullness in Him because He wanted to put His fullness in you. And by Him to reconcile, by Jesus, to reconcile all things to Himself by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace, there's that harmony, there's that peace, through the blood of His cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in God's sight. Amen. 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 So what we see here then are two primary divisions of the ministry of reconciliation. Two primary divisions of the ministry of reconciliation. And I'm going to put a drawing on the screen that, um, that represents 
those two branches or those two primary divisions of the ministry of reconciliation. The first division is the new birth division, okay? And then the second division is discipleship. These are the two fronts, if you will. If, if this was a, a, a war, and in some ways it is, then these, this battle will be uh, fought on two main fronts. It'll be fought for the salvation of men's and women's uh, uh, very lives, amen, for them to hear the gospel story because in that gospel message is the power of God into salvation so that a man or woman can be born again. But then once that man or woman is born again, there is the second division, front, branch of the ministry of reconciliation, which is discipleship. Now, the new birth, let me go back to this. The new birth... Um, Two primary divisions. So notice now, <clears throat> are you still with me? Everybody good? Yeah. I said it was going to be a little tedious tonight, so just fair warning. But stay with me because there's some, we're, we're laying a good foundation that once we get this in place, man, we'll be able to really build on in, 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 the, in the coming weeks. So just hang in here with me. Push on through if you're getting a little distracted, a little, little weary. Amen. So the new birth, notice now, and I tried to emphasize, it removes enmity between an individual and God. Sin separates us from God. Jesus solved your sin problem. Jesus solved my sin problem. He did it once and for all. Okay? So that our sin can never separate us from God ever again. It is a once and for all solution. And that is received and applied to our lives and our eternities through this thing called the new birth. Where we're born again. Where we receive salvation. However you want to... There's different terminologies, and when we get to those classes, we'll, under, we'll unravel all that so that we'll see what it really means to be born again and, and, and why that and how that relates to salvation. Okay, So notice now, the new birth removes the enmity between an individual and God. But now watch what discipleship does. Discipleship removes the enmity within a person between their soul and born-again spirit. We'll have drawings to illustrate all of this so you can see it if you're a visual learner. Okay, I'm a visual learner. Discipleship is the second branch of the ministry of reconciliation. And the focus of this ministry is to help men and women with the removal of the enmity inside of them. Okay? Help them remove the enmity that lingers inside of them and specifically between their soul and their born-again spirit. Okay? So if, if you can, I'll leave that up there because I see some of you writing. I'm, I'm more interested in you understanding it than just getting it written down. So both is, is excellent because if it's written down and you understand it, then you can look back and remember it even better. Okay? Um, so, if, if you can, um, I'll I tell you what, let's go, I know some of you, most of you weren't in those classes, but let's, let's go back to, uh, because the, the, the younger son, man had two sons, and one of them asked for his inheritance, and, and, and the dad divided to the older brother and the younger brother uh, his livelihood, and uh, the older brother stayed home, the younger brother uh, cut out, okay, 
and um, he split, amen, and he wasted it all. And he comes home, busted, beat down, broke, talking about how pitiful he is, how unworthy he is, just make me like one of your servants, blah, 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 okay. Well, the father instantly forgave him. The father said, look, whatever mistakes you've made, whatever wrong you've done, whatever terrible deeds, you know, gone. I mean, father's hugging him, fell on his neck, kissed him, ring on his finger, robe on his back, sandals on his feet. Notice now, there is no enmity between that young man and his father. His dad's not holding anything against him. His dad's not saying, well, son, you know, I don't know about this. You know, you, you've been gone a long time and you've really embarrassed us. And you've, no, it's none of that. Come on now, none of that. Enmity's gone that fast, gone. It's over like it never happened. Come on, listen to me. Jesus gave father what he's always wanted and that's to treat you and me like our sin never happened. Treat you like your sin never happened. That's what Father wants with you. He doesn't, he doesn't want all that. He wants fellowship with you. He wants to hang out with you. He wants to do life with you. And sin prevented that from happening. And he, that's why the Bible says He's forgiven you for His sake. We always, think it's, we always think about what it means to us, what it did for us, how it helped us, how it benefited us. Have you ever stopped to consider what Jesus did, how it benefited and how it helped and how it, how it made possible something that was in Father God's heart that was not possible without Him doing what He did? Enmity's gone between this young man and his dad. As far as his dad is concerned, it never happened. You were dead, now you're alive again. You were gone, now you're back. Let's move on. Okay? So that would be com comparable then to the ministry of reconciliation as it relates to the new birth. Nothing, not, absolutely nothing, right, between that young man and his father. But where is their enmity? <laughs> in him, right? It's in him, and, and you got it right, sister, in his thinking. See, he's like, his father is wanting to move on like it never happened. This young man... Is not he's not. All he can talk about is how unworthy he is, how undeserving he is. And and notice now, even how he sees his father is is not accurate. His father is loving, forgiving, far as I'm concerned, it's over. Let's move on like it never happened. And and this young man is like, no, no, father, I I, I need to be made like one of your servants. I need this, I need to be punished, I need to earn my way back into this. I need all so so in other words, the father is thinking one thing and the son's thinking another. As I love to say, this young man came home, but he did not come home to be his daddy's son. We think this story has a happy ending, but if you really understand what this story is all about and what Jesus is trying to say to us through this story, this is not a happy ending. The older brother's out there whining, this son of yours come home, I was with you my whole life, I've never disappointed you. you know. Neither one of these sons knew what their father wanted and, and, and wanted the fellowship and relationship that he wanted with them. Neither one of them understood it. Enmity, do you see this? Enmity. Enmity is when the father wants one thing and you want something else. Enmity is when the father says it this way and you say no, it's that way. Enmity is when Father says, come on, let's act like this never happened. And he's like, no, Father, it happened. And, I, and I'm, I'm going to wallow in this, and I'm going to make you punish me for this, and I'm going to talk about how low-down, dirty dog I am for the next five years and, 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 and get what I deserve and, and all. Do you see? And it's selfish. That's the part that shocks a lot of people. Just continuing to play the victim card with God is it's like, okay, 
you're forgiven. I've restored you. It's done. Let's move on. As a matter of fact, if you want to just really just go to the extreme, when it comes to the new birth, the person who did all those things died with Jesus and was buried in an unmarked grave. That person doesn't even exist anymore. Unless he or she exists in your mind. That's the enmity, right? I call it the residue the old man left on your soul. The grease stains. <laughs> Come on now. The sweat stains and the grease stains that that hard living left on your thinking, your emotions, your choices. You get anything out of this? You see what I'm saying here? So do you see how one is instant? New birth instant. That enmity has gone in an instant. Okay? But removing the enmity within a person, notice this, and the enmity specifically, and I like to say this, and we could certainly bring God into this, but when we say between their soul and their born-again spirit, remember what we saw in 2 Corinthians 5. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new, and now all things are of God. So here's a classic example. When you were born again, you became just as right with God as Jesus. You became an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus. You were seated together with Jesus in the heavenly places. All of these things, what this, I mean, how many Bible verses do you want me to show you to prove every bit of this, okay? All right. So that's the new birth reality. That's the reality of your new, of your new birth, okay? But where the enmity comes in is when God made you righteous, but you still see yourself a sinner. When God made you free, but you won't quit telling people you're an addict or a recovering addict. See, that's enmity. When God says you can do all things through Christ which strengthens you, and you can't quit talking about how weak and broken and pitiful you are. So that's enmity. Now, God loves you. Don't misunderstand me. He's, he knows who you are. The Bible says one day you'll be known and you'll know yourself as you're already known in heaven. But God's trying to bring the version you have of yourself in your mind into alignment with who He made you the day He made you a new creation in Christ Jesus. And that's a process. That's a process. And so do you see how a minister of reconciliation would function in, in both of these branches? When it comes to the branch of the minister of reconciliation, the new birth, this is when you go tell people who Jesus is and what He's done for them and how He's changed your life. Right? You go tell them. And notice, both of these involve... You were given the ministry of reconciliation and he committed you the word of reconciliation. And so when you speak, it's as if God himself is speaking through you to them. Be reconciled to God. That's true whether you're standing on a platform uh, in Africa or uh, in, in a drive through line with a buddy who is having a hard day and you're trying to buy him a cheeseburger and you lead him to the Lord, right? That's, that's the ministry of reconciliation as it, as it applies to the new birth. You tell them. You speak words. Okay. Now, when it comes to discipleship, so this is when, you know, because as you grow and develop in the things of God, what you've got to realize is that, is that Father begins to show you things, amen, that you want everybody else to see. <laughs> right? How many of you right now, you, people close to you, maybe your family or friend or something like that, the Lord has opened your eyes to, to things of the Spirit that some people you really care for and love and are close to you, they don't see it yet. You know? And, and, you, and you go, like, maybe you, know, you spend some time with them, and you're all excited. Let me, let me tell you what, God. You know, they're like, 
okay, isn't there a football game on? I mean, that, you know, that, it's, it, it's, you know, I mean, you're like, oh, no, no, no. You know. So again, it's, it's, it's this ministry of reconciliation. It's helping people identify these discrepancies, you know, once they're born again. See, again, one of these depends on the other. You got to, in other words, if somebody's not born, they're not a candidate for discipleship yet. Uh, they're not born again yet. They got to, they're not a disciple. They're not a candidate for discipleship. You got to get saved first. Amen. And then begins the discipleship process. All right, 634. I want to close tonight by giving you um, some verses that actually have both branches mentioned in the verse. Okay? You get anything out of this tonight? I don't know why I keep asking you that. I just want to make sure that I'm connecting with you and you're connecting with this. And, and um, this is not the only time we're going to talk about these things, I promise you. Okay? As I've said, virtually every class from this point forward will somehow have... Whether we point it out or not, it'll have a connection back to uh, the one or more of the doctrines that we see mentioned here and the whole process of, um, of reconciliation and what that means. All right. So let's look first at, at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, 3, and 4. 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4. It says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved, and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Anybody remember this verse from, I think, class one or class two? All right. Um, so he desires all men to be saved. I think it's pretty clear what branch of the ministry of reconciliation that's referring to, right? Uh, the new birth. And he also desires all men to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so that would be the branch of the ministry of reconciliation that we're calling discipleship. Now, as I told you when we first uh, looked at these verses uh, several weeks back, um, for many years in my life, I, I reversed the order that was clear and clearly stated in Scripture. I thought people came to the knowledge of the truth and got saved. But that's not what he says. He wants you to come to the knowledge. Of, he wants you to, to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So there's a lot of people who've been saved that haven't come to the knowledge of the truth yet. Doesn't mean they're not saved. Doesn't mean they're not saved. But there's just a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of, of opinions and beliefs and 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 the perspective they have of themselves, things they believe to be true about God, things they believe to be true about themselves, it's enmity. It's, 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 it's carnal. It's worldly thinking. Um, it, it's, it's not based upon uh, truth. It's not based upon scriptures. Okay, so thank God we've got a, a statement from the bank. We, we've got the word of God to, to check our thinking against. And, and that word, uh, as we'll look at probably next week, that word of reconciliation is living and powerful it actually has the ability to search out wrong thinking in us and correct it. So that's exciting. We'll get there. Okay. Now, Colossians 4 and 19, he says, My little children, this is another verse we've looked at already, My little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. So when he mentions laboring in birth again, that implies that he has labored in birth previously for them. That would be the labors that he devoted to the people in Galatia to see a measure of them, a group of them, receive salvation. Now that they have received the new birth and salvation, he continues to try to reach other people and bring them to Christ through salvation. But he's also now pastoring and shepherding and serving and ministering to those who have been born again. So that literally what he's saying here, Christ formed in you, so that the, the reality of the new birth, the inward reality of the new birth, will become an outward expression of their life. How about this one right here? Philippians 1 and 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day 
of Jesus Christ. He who began a good work in you. Well, what happened at new birth, at your new birth when you received salvation, um, was both a completed work, but it also marked the beginning of a new effort uh, by the Word of God, the Holy Spirit of God, and God's people in your life, and that would be this uh, thing called discipleship. So the very thing that he's confident of, the new work that began, it began through the new birth. And aren't you glad that Father and, and, and God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are committed to see that work through to completion in our lives? Amen? All right. So here's another one, Philippians 2, 12 through 13. Therefore, my uh, beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. God works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. God will give you the want to. Amen? And the ability to do what it is that He's created you to do. And I'm thankful for that. Amen? So when He says, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You have to look a little little closer to see it here since he, he's talking about working out their salvation clearly these are, 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 are you know speaking to men and women like you and me who've been born again but the working it out that I know some people preach that you know all craziness you know when they he's not talking about you making a deal with God he's not talking about you getting together with God and negotiating some salvation deal experience that's not what he's saying again new birth realities in your born-again spirit, He's wanting those to work their way out of you so that the righteousness that you've been made will become an outward expression of life. So that the, the freedom you've become will become an outward expression of life. So the wisdom that you've become will become an outward expression of life. So when He says work it out, He's talking about the, the inward realities uh, the, the, all that's become true about you as a new creation in Christ Jesus um, becoming an outward expression of life. So one is received at the new birth. The other one is developed and released from us through discipleship. Now here is, um, man, I was recently asked, what's my favorite verse? And, and this was the one I said. I mean, I've got a lot of favorites, but this one right here, it's been with me for a while now as far as the top of the list it says, for by one offering, speaking of Jesus, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. I asked the question earlier in the class, and Joel was talking about, you know, he answered with a three-dimensional thinking and, and seeing this not as the world sees it, but as God sees it. And this is another one of those verses that if you don't understand three-dimensional being, you'll never understand this verse, Okay. Um, in other words, when God wrote the Bible and made, made sure you had you know, received a copy of it, he, he provided it knowing that he was speaking to a three-dimensional being. So, <laughs> because the Bible that he wrote to you identifies you as a three-dimensional being, by the way. Um, so, he says, by one offering, talking about what Jesus did for you, um, and then when we receive salvation, notice it says, perfected forever. Man, that means there is a part of you that has already made it forever, okay? Amen. 
And, and the ultimate, perfection means to reach um, the intended goal is one of the definitions of this word perfected here. It's the Greek word teleos, and, and it has to do with coming full circle, coming all the way around. And we know from other scriptures, and we've looked at these in other classes, that the ultimate predetermined destiny for every human being is that we be conformed in the image of His Son, Jesus Christ, that we be as Jesus is to Him. Amen? As He is, so are we in this world. Well, you realize when He says perfected forever, He means that there's a, there's a part of you, and by the way, you are a spirit. The real you has already made it. The real you is already conformed to the image. The real you is already like Jesus. Come on now, you need to get excited about that. But then he says, perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Perfected forever speaks of a past completed work with ongoing present tense uh, uh, benefits. But now he says this person who's been perfected forever is being sanctified. How, how, how can you be a perfect work in progress? But that's what this verse is saying. Well, again, new birth made perfection in your spirit. You were, you were created again in Christ Jesus and because He's perfect, you're now perfect. Because He's complete, you're now complete. We are complete in Him with whom we have to do. I could go on and on verse after verse after verse here. So that's speaking of the branch of the ministry of reconciliation of your new birth. But now the part where we're being sanctified. Sanctified has to do with being set apart unto God for a specific purpose. Um, I use the example of the Christmas dishes at our house. They're sanctified in the sense that they're set apart from all the other dishes and we use them once a year for a special purpose. So to be sanctified is speaking of, and by the way, your spirit has been sanctified. The same Bible that says you are being sanctified and will be sanctified also says you, has, you have been sanctified. And that's your spirit has been, your soul is being, your soul is your mind, emotions, and will, and your body one day will be, it'll become this mortal, will become immortal. Amen. Be comparable to the born-again spirit already in this earthen vessel. Now, I said all that real fast because I'm out of time. But do you see the two branches in each of these verses? And this one, by one offering, perfected forever, that's the new birth. Those who are being sanctified, that's the process of discipleship. <sighs> Amen. Amen. Yes? Is this making sense to you? Let me tell you what I know about you because I know this from the Word. I know this from my own personal experience. And I know this from having had the, the beautiful honor and privilege of serving a whole lot of people for a whole lot of years. Okay, Whether you've ever put it in these words or not, you want to be a part of something bigger than yourself. That's why we enjoy team sports. That's why we love being a part of organizations that are doing good in the, in the world and all that. Because it's, it's hardwired into us to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. You were created to be a part of something bigger than yourself. You were created to be a part of the body of Christ himself. Amen. And, and so let what you're hearing tonight, don't let it just slip out of your mind. Spend some time thinking about this. If you took notes, spend some time going back over those notes. Because when we ultimately talk about what it is that we were created to be a part of that's bigger than ourselves, we're getting, I mean, we're, we're zeroing in on it now. Okay. You were born for this. You were born again for this. The ministry of reconciliation. How God uses you as a minister of reconciliation may not be exactly the same way He uses somebody else as a minister of reconciliation. But again, we've all been given that ministry. Amen? 
Father, thank you for this time together this evening. Thank you for your great love for us. Thank you, Father, for always believing the best about us, never giving up on us, Lord. Thank you uh, that you see us as you created us to be, as you made us to be, Lord. Help us bring our understanding uh, into alignment with your understanding where our abilities are concerned, our potential is concerned, our gifts are concerned. Lord, our identity in Christ is concerned, Lord, all of these things. And, Lord, we thank you for it. Lord, as, as uh, some uh, have to depart, Lord, we thank you for just never leaving us or forsaking us. Lord, as others get to stay for the service, Father, we thank you for the wonderful time we're going to have together uh, in uh, the sanctuary here in a few minutes. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Thank you for tuning in online. You have a great rest of your day. I'll see some of you on Sunday, some of you on Monday, the uh, rest of you next Wednesday. Good things coming.